What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast, a weekly video game show where we talk about games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. I am one of your hosts, Jared Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. Or bonjour. Is Buongiorno Italian? It's Italian. Okay, and then Buongiorno is yeah, French, that's obviously. So it actually does have like a hard G sound in Italian, uh, and the soft kind of J sound is more the French one. Uh, but you you know what? Language is fluid, and you I can mean, I knew smash what you were together as many words as you want to. There we go. There we go, indeed. But in case you did not know, Team Chat Podcast comes out every single week on Tuesday, 9 a.m. You can subscribe to the show across podcast services around the web, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and now Google Podcasts is another new one that we've added to our ranks since Google just released that new platform. Uh, you can also find us on iHeartRadio and a couple others, but you can check teamchatpodcast.com slash where to listen to find all the places where you can listen. Oh, you can also watch each episode of the podcast either on YouTube or Twitch. So subscribe and check us out there. Lead us, leave us a review, rate us, all that fun stuff as well, because it's good to know. If you have any feedback or questions, comments, whatever, send us an email, teamchatpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Finally, we are completely listener-supported show, so if you would like to support us because you're really loving what we're doing, you can head over to patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can support the show. And in return, we will give you a cool perk, like getting these episodes early before their general Tuesday release. Again, that is patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast. And a big thank you to all our current patrons who help make every single episode possible love you boo yes you are our boos our waifus and husbandos there we go yeah they there are all our waifus and hazubandos put it in oh it's hazubandos i say hazubandu hazubandos some but people just say husbando, husbando. but i don't like that i don't think that sounds as fun hazubando i say hazubando hazubando but a lot of people just husbando. say husbando all right We'll leave it up to you. Again, all to language is fluid. They're made up words, anyways. This is true. You can do whatever this is you true. want. Do whatever bro. you want with all this information. <laughs> but before we get to our big topic of the day, we do have to catch up on some news. <laughs> okay, so coming soon and out now, as of this episode's air date on July, what will it be today? The eleventh. Yes, it will be. Yes. The 11th. Uh, we have, oh yeah, we kind of talked about this last week, a very silly game, uh, 2020, which is stylized as 20XX, the Xbox One version only comes okay. out today, July 11th. The other versions for PS4 and Switch came out yesterday on June 10th. Uh, also today on, excuse me, tomorrow the... Thursday? I'm all over the place with my calendar. But on July 13th, we have Captain Toad Treasure Tracker for the Nintendo Switch and the 3DS. We also have Earthfall for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Again, that's July 13th. We have a game nobody asked for and I assume nobody wants. Hotel Transylvania 3, Monsters Overboard. That sounds like a terrible port of a game. That terrible. That sounds very unfortunate. Uh, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Uh, that's also July 13th. Uh, coming soon, we have July 17th, Sonic Mania Plus. Switch, PS4, Xbox One. Do you want to try this again? No, go for it. Just keep going. I'm just, I'm just messing around with stuff. You're good. You're good. Keep You're going. Just th- throwing off my groove, Sorry. moving around so much. <laughs> Sorry. Now you know how it feels, and all the times that I messed up the intros. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, but you messed those up yourself. I know, but you know, <laughs> just, we've done this enough. You should be able to roll with it. You know? uh, anyways, July seventeenth, Sonic Mania Plus for the Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. Mother Gunship. For PS4, Xbox One, and PC, also July 17th. And then I skipped it because of the last one, and it's the one that I really, really love, so I wanted to save the best for last. Okay. Also July 13th, Octopath Traveler for the Switch. There it is. 
I still didn't have a chance to go back and finish it yet. Oh, that's okay. You don't have to. I know. You can finish it the day before. Or I can the finish day it the day after, and that's I can right. finish it anytime before I actually buy the game. Watch them discontinue the demo the day it comes out. Seriously, <laughs> then yeah. That then seems like, like oh, something well, Nintendo damn. would do. <laughs> they might actually do that. They might. I don't feel like they have a lot of demos. Up. They always they announce the, demo, the demos before the game comes out, so maybe they'll be like, you "Ooh, no, nope, cut off." That. Yeah. yeah, I got time. I got time. I got like a couple more days by the time of this recording. Oh, I mean, when this comes out, I got a couple more days. I got like a week. As of the time of this recording, so I'm set. I'm good. I think it should be all right to finish it up. All right, we'll chop, chop. All right, before we get to our main topic, one more bit of news. Again, our PS4 Glacier White used, used. giveaway is is up and running. You have until the end of the month. I believe the 31st falls on a Tuesday, and that is when the contest will end. But you have until then to go on and enter. We've got a couple of different ways you can enter up and get a few more entries. So check that out. Again, you can probably you can find the link on our social media. We'll be tweeting about it a lot, so uh, just go and search in all those places, and you should be able to find our giveaway. We'll I'll also try to have a page for, for it up on our website too, teamchatpodcast.com. So go check it out there. You can find all these fun ways to enter in the contest, and hopefully take home a Glacier White PS4. Used 500 gigs. Yep, there you all go. cords included. Completely clean. Professionally cleaned. Professionally cleaned. It's got all the bells and whistles of a new one, just slightly been cared for and loved before. I've decided I've called him Kevin. Kevin, like in like I technically never called him that before, but I feel like but now the he PS4 needs a name. His name need... It's Kevin. Okay, so you'll win. He's Kevin. He's always been a Kevin. Yeah, you'll be t- somebody, some lucky, fortunate soul will be able to take Kevin home with them. Nice. So good luck to you all. But now we get on to our main topic, which is a continuation of our top ten lists. We had a little detour last week going in talking about Captain Spirit and Octopath Traveler demos, but now we're back on track with this series to talk about our rem- games six through four before we come back in the final episode to talk about games three, two, and, of course, number one. So, who kicked it off last time? I don't remember now. I think I did. Yeah, you did, because okay. you were trying to figure out whether or not it was going to be, I think, a Call of Duty game? Assassin's Creed 2 or, or Donkey Kong Country. Cre- oh, just kidding. Yeah, no, no Call of <laughs> Duty lied about both of those. So, okay, so then why don't you go ahead and kick us off then All with right. your number six. So my six through four, honestly, I feel like this middle section was the hardest one to do for me, mm-hmm. because the bottom ones were a little bit easier to fill in, because I was thinking, well, what kind of just barely makes the list? What do I love but doesn't deserve top five, et right, cetera? Right. But this awkward very middle spot, which includes the halfway point, I really struggled with this section because I feel like the next three games I'm going to talk about are all equally good in their own way. They are just three wildly different games, one of which I have talked about at least a few times before. Mm -hmm. So coming in at number six for me. Pikmin 2 ah, for the Wii specifically. Okay. No, so uh, Pikmin 2 did come out on the GameCube and I played it on GameCube, but then I replayed it and finished it. So I was the more uh, hardcore with that version on Wii as opposed to the GameCube version. Yeah. Uh, that was largely because they released a Nintendo like classics or favorites edition or something that was only $20 of Pikmin 2 for the Wii, whereas the GameCube edition of Pikmin 2 became this cult classic, and it was so niche at the time that it became a collector's item very quickly, mm-hmm. and I could not find it under $100 anywhere. Even though I still owned my GameCube, you could not find Pikmin 2 at a reasonable price. So when they put it on the Wii and it was only 20 bucks, I was like, yes, please. They have blessed me. And thankfully, the controls from the GameCube version, which felt a little bit more natural, they did uh, 
cross over to the Wii's nunchuck format reasonably well. Nothing was too difficult to get a hang of, and actually the motion controls in terms of where you could aim your Pikmin on screen when you're, for example, trying to launch them at a specific target, those felt really natural in the game. Good. So in terms of them porting it from the GameCube to the Wii, I feel like that transition went reasonably well. Really kind of as well as it could have. It could have been worse. It could have been a train wreck. That does sometimes happen with games, and especially ones that... uh, aren't necessarily profit powerhouses. They especially can sometimes fall by the wayside when those port processes happen. But Pikmin 2, similar to some of the other games on my list, uh, is in the top 10, as opposed to the original Pikmin. Pikmin 3 is so negligible. Who could even put it on their list? Uh, it's terrible. Okay. But Pikmin spoiler 2, yeah, p- never spoiler, it. it's no, well, I think it's terrible. I know. Some people Other love people it. might love it. But, but still, it's Pik- not, there's, this is our top 10 list, exactly. so we can rank how we want. Exactly. Everybody else is wrong. Throw shade however we want. Exactly. And there's so much shade and sassery and sarcasm to be had in Pikmin 2, and I feel like that's one of the things that sets it apart from Pikmin 1. Mm-hmm. So, Pikmin on its own, the first game, was unique and sometimes not good for me as a gamer in the terms of that it was on a natural timer. The game Pikmin 1 was already on a timer. You played as Olimar, this little creature, he's called a... Oh God! I don't know it's what he's called. This, okay, you're done. You're done. You can't. You can't he's go on. If you can't even remember that Hoketate, basic thing. But is Hoketonite. I don't know what his actual okay, I'll look species I'll look is. Anyways, like Olimar, he's from this planet called Hokitate. He works for a company called Hokitate Freight. So he has a little spaceship. He goes around space doing deliveries, I guess. But he's uh, struck by, I think, an asteroid or something. Oh, no. And he crash lands onto what we know as Earth. And on Pikmin 1, you had basically 30 days. So the game was on a timer of 30 days. You had 30 days to collect back up all of the pieces of your ship, which was damaged on impact, reassemble assemble it, and get off the planet, which was how you won the game. Mm -hmm. And along the way, of course, you would utilize Pikmin, the indigenous creatures of Earth, which are these um, semi-humanoid and sentient little tiny creatures, no more than the size of batteries, that are basically little human plants. And they are fantastic and wonderful, and you come to love them very dearly. But that timer, that 30-day timer, was both very stressful Mm -hmm. and I felt an unnecessary constraint on the game. So in that way, I felt like Pikmin 2 did itself a huge favor by totally doing away with the timer system. So Pikmin 2, one of the best things I think it did for the game is they really managed to hit on what I feel like most gamers loved of Pikmin 1, Mm -hmm. which was collecting stuff for any reason. It didn't have to be important stuff. Yeah, just hoarders. Just like, I want to go out there, I want to use my Pikmin in fun and interesting ways in these environments. I want to beat up creatures and get stuff. I just want crap. So the entire premise of Pikmin 2 is more ridiculous than ever because, uh, you know, Olimar, he gets back to Hokitate, his home planet. Uh, His company, Hokitate Freight, has gone bankrupt. Which they're calling them Hokitations. 
Oh, Hokitations. Hokitatians. Hokitatians, yeah. I'll say Hokitations. I think that sounds more natural. Anyways, uh, so he gets back to his home planet. His boss is like, bad news. I got in some trouble with some loan sharks, <laughs> and we are now bankrupt. We need more stuff. Yeah, and Olimar's like, oh my god, this is terrible. And he drops, kind of on the ground, a bottle cap, which is the only treasure that he brought back to Hokitate with him mm-hmm. as kind of like a memento of his time. And his boss sees the bottle cap and their like technologically advanced ship also sees the bottle cap it kind of beams it up analyzes it and the ship is like wow this thing is worth a lot of money and the boss is like whoops that now you saved us (laughs) you say it's worth money (laughs) and so he's basically like you have to go back to that planet right now here take your co-worker louie who is terrible louie is the worst but he's like take louie find louie at different parts exactly so you take louie back to earth with you and your entire goal for pikmin 2 is just collect treasures and treasures are in the form of delightful earth objects things like batteries for example like very brand heavy items the localization teams for these games must have had a terrible time of bringing them over because there's a lot that's just so brand specific to a region you have to make that appeal to your local consumer Mm -hmm. or it's not going to be quite as fun so for example they would have duracell batteries they would have chocolate bonbons it's interesting that they were able to get the licensing to use those too it's well, not all of them were the original brands from Japan, so that's oh, what I'm saying okay. is that they had to change a lot. Well, of that's the what branding. I mean, but it's a, I'm surprised they were able to for for a smaller series game to be able to get the license to use like Duracell and that's all that. True. That's what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, it's just good publicity. Well, for them. yeah, a Duracell probably looked at that email from Nintendo and they were like. Sure. sure. Whatever, man. Partnering with Nintendo in <laughs> some way. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. did not care at all. Yeah. Uh, other things would be like glue sticks. Uh, you find a tube of Mario-themed paint from the Mario Paint games. Cool. There's all kinds of fun stuff peppered around the game that is just interesting to find. And moreover, when you bring them back, well, this is one of my favorite features of the game, and it's largely why I find it so endearing. When you bring treasures back to the ship, your ship, like I said, is kind of sentient. Like, it's an artificial intelligence, super smart ship, but it's such a bitch to you the whole time. Like, your ship is really sassy, it clearly hates you, it thinks you're stupid, and it's like, come on, chop chop, we gotta get this over with. And when you bring it treasures, it will appraise them, and it will give them, you know, you're aliens, you don't know what these things are, so it will have to give everything, whatever best name it can come up with. And I know I've mentioned this particular uh, what am I trying to say here example before, but one of my favorite ones is still when you bring back a glove to the ship, it appraises it, and of course Olimar and Louis, they're only about the size of fingers, right? Mm -hmm. So the ship beams up the glove, appraises it, and it titles it the five-man knapsack. Because from its view, it's like, this is a sleeping bag that sleeps five people. (laughs) And it it just cracks me up. I love that kind of stuff. I love that they took the time to make it that ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And they made it fun in such a whimsical, lighthearted way, even though the outer casing of the game kind of has a post-apocalyptic feel to it. Because you're on Earth, you're finding all of these remnants of human civilization, but there are never humans around. Like, there are levels where you appear to be going inside of houses, and, you know, you're just in the walls. You can't really see the houses, but it looks like you're entering structures. You never hear people. You never see people. The only things you run into are these very non-native 
creatures that are the enemies of the Pikmin. And these are things like spotty bulb orbs hmm. or these like scary crane thingies that pop out of the ground and eat your Pikmin alive, but they're just like a crane head and neck. And if they actually pop out of the ground, there's not much more to them than that. They're terrifying. Yeah. So clearly there's just a bunch of mutants that are on what is obviously Earth. And it's like, where'd all the people go? Where'd all these weird mutant creatures go? Where did the Pikmin come from? Why are they here? Right. Why do they look to me as their god and commander? I, Olimar, king among Hokatations. Why do they take orders from, you know, the likes of Louis and Olimar? So it's a lot of interesting lore that I just like to ponder on. Yeah. The game never answers any of those questions, nor does it even try to. Just leaves you to make your and own I conclusions. I love that about it. It just kind of peppers in these details of the world around you, but leaves you to your own devices. You do still have days, so mm-hmm. there's a day cycle and the night, which is you have to be back at the ship at night, otherwise your Pikmin and you will get eaten alive by all of the various denizens of Earth because they come out at night and destroy you. And all the while that you're toiling around in the daytime, you are, of course, trying to maximize your resources. You have to be able to create more Pikmin if you don't have enough. You have to be able to kill creatures, and they might kill your Pikmin in turn, which then cues you to have to make more Pikmin. You have to be able to harvest power-up items, and of course you have to get treasures. And treasures are weighted. So let's say, for example, that my Pikmin are going to go get an empty can. Well, ten Pikmin can lift one empty can. It's not that heavy. But if they're later trying to go get a cell phone or a dumbbell, Mm -hmm. ten Pikmin can't lift that dumbbell. You're going to need a hundred Pikmin for that and certain items will be in uh, certain places of the map where only certain colors of pikmin can go because they all have uh, basic attributes that are uh, part of their coloring so red pikmin are immune to fire blue can swim in water Mm -hmm. yellow are immune to electricity and they can jump extra high and of course in pikmin 2 they introduce the white pikmin which are smaller than all others and more delicate and terrible fighters but they are poisonous. So if a creature eats them, it will die. Okay. So that's a mechanic I never used because, of course, I won't kill any of my Pikmin for any right, reason. Right, right. Like but the white alive. Pikmin are balanced out by the purple Pikmin, who it is a crime that they replaced purple Pikmin in Pikmin 3 with rock Pikmin. Mm-hmm. They do the same thing. They just made them less cute and less enjoyable because the purple Pikmin, they're basically little purple sumo wrestlers and, like, every time you throw them at something they slam down on it like little sumo guys and like will flatten it like they'll flatten stuff like little pancakes and you're yeah. just like this is the most satisfying thing i've ever done in my life and purple pikmin they're they're my babies they're my children above all other children they're more precious to me than all others and it's just such a complete package of a game which is why i think pikmin 2 is arguably the best of the trilogy mm-hmm. and the best of all of the other weird side pikmin games that they have since created which are mere shadows of former glory which is encapsulated in pikmin 2 well there you have it i could go on about pikmin 2 for a while <laughs> i know because i mean it's one you brought up before on a couple past episodes oh, or at least you know it, it, you brought, so it brought it up a lot much. but yeah there's so much about there's it that so you can go into especially if it's one of you know getting here close on your number six of your list you know it's a lot to you got a lot of thoughts and feelings about it since, since that high so you know you got a lot of opinions on yeah. it. i don't blame you for that at all we're not even talking about the mechanic of being able to strategically use saves or going back in time i remember you talking about system. that before 
That's a very important part, especially if you're trying to get a no-kill Pikmin run. Yeah. <laughs> a, uh, a, a parental run, as I like to call it, because these are your children. Right. You have right. to take You want to keep them safe. You can't just be throwing them into the water willy-nilly to drown. Mm-hmm. You have to take care of them. So, anyways, I could happily go on, but I will not take up the whole episode. For the sake of time. Talking about Pikmin 2. All right. Well, my number six game is one uh, we've actually talked about a little bit recently because it hit on the Game Informer uh, top 300 list and it was actually number it might have actually been number six or seven on their list oh wait let me see if i can guess it was it an older game no and you already said red dead yes Shit. it's within oh crap when did this come out it's in the 2010s assassin's creed 3 no in the 2010s oh the last wait no the last of us cannot possibly be your number six no Okay. I'm glad that you corrected um, that. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, error. Mm. Oh, wait. Ooh, I was wrong. Sorry. Early to that. I mean, mi- late thousands. Late thousands. Halo. No, actually. Dang it. <laughs> All right, well, I'm just going to say it. It's Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Oh, okay. I guess I thought you had already talked about that one. No, I ha- I mean, I think we might have brought it up a little bit before, but I mean, we did talk about it fairly in depth in the in the one side. I don't, I don't want to spend and harp too much time on, the, on it, really, uh, because my next game is where I'm, a lot of time is going to be spent. Is that one The Last of Us? N- no. Oh. It's, you know, it's all, not going to tell you where that one hits. Well, all right. I mean, then. people might be able to guess. but I know, mean, I think they can probably still but, guess. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare uh, was the big changing point in the Call of Duty series in that it took it shifted away from World War II to modern day time. And that in and of itself was a big move. Like, it, you know, you'd always been storming the beaches of Normandy, you know, fighting in France and all those other places on the Soviet front and all, and all this in Africa in, as part of World War II. But now here you are in like a modern day conflict, which feels very real because it, you're hunting down terrorists for a lot of it in Middle Eastern places. So especially in 2007, you know, I mean, obviously the war in Afghanistan and Iraq is still going on now but even then it was still even more fresh than it is now so it had this more of a real world feel and a real world impact to it that i felt i felt like um that made the story more engaging now it did actually have a really great story you take the uh role of i think soap is that what your name soap it's it's like a code name. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 yes, John Soap McTavish. <laughs> uh, and so you get you start as a British Special Air Service recruit, and you go, uh, and you know the first couple missions are like you know you got to do your training run so you can get a handle of the controls, learn the different mechanics, because and all this other stuff, and then you go on and uh, do this nighttime assault on a cargo ship to try to retri- retrieve this weapon. You're let you're met by uh, you meet sorry you meet your leader uh, Captain Price, who's a Badass character. I think you've talked about Captain Price. I talked about that Captain Price familiar. before in one of our like side or non playable character yeah. episodes, something oh, like that. Yeah, I he's remember just really old surly Price. and sarcastic, <laughs> and he's got this badass like handlebar mu- the, the the like the chop must the one that like goes down uh, over your oh, the mustache yeah. but doesn't there's nothing on the chin it's he's the combo badass. chops to stash exactly <laughs> um and so you know and he's That's just a really bold look sir it is but he pulls it off handsomely you could try the chops to stash i've done chops before do it for your birthday no i always usually do crazy oh, hairstyles before we forget let's all i know it's belated by now but let's all give jared oh, a belated you. happy birthday oh, thank you. Thank by the time this thank episode you. comes out it will have passed but 
But uh, yeah, thank you. Good job Appreciate on living that. another, another year, year of life. <laughs> but anyway, so you meet uh, so you meet Captain Price, and yeah, he's no nonsense, hard ass soldier, you know. But obviously, it makes sense. He's been in the force in the force for a while. He knows what to do to keep his men, himself and his men alive, and so he doesn't take any nonsense from you while you're trying to do your stuff. Can I ask a quick question? Yes. Are you part of the Army, Navy, Air Force? Well, this guy, you? you're technically British Special Forces. Oh, that's right. So, Touché. So this one sir. actually, just like previous Call of Duty games, you do jump around to a couple different roles. So you are Soap McTavish in the first part. Then you switch over to Sergeant Paul Jackson, who is a Marine. Okay. And I believe that's actually... And then at one point later on in the game, you actually get to play as Captain Price in a flashback episode, cool. in a flashback mission. Uh, and so... There's all these different things that are added in, not only so the modern setting, which means for modern weapons, modern enemies, modern, you know, all this other different things. So you you're hunting down. Cans, right? No, not in this one. <laughs> not, not that modern. <laughs> uh, but but you're going on the hunt for this uh, for this leader of the ultra, Russian Ultranationalist Party. Sorry, I'm having to go back and do a little bit of research on this. Imran Zakayev is who you're hunting down. But you're also looking for al-Assad, who is a commander of the Revolutionary Forces in the Middle East, and an ally. So they're kind of like working all together. And so, but it, this one is great because it introduced, one, it has one of the best campaign missions of a shooter ever. Um, and it's where you, it's the flashback mission where you're going back as Captain Price when you're in his, when he's being trained, as, and he's like being a sniper to go take out Imran Zakayev in like the 80s or, or 80s or 90s and stuff. And he failed. And it's well, he does. Yes, because you're still hunting, you're still hunting him. But it's but you know Zakayev only has like one arm, and you realize that in this mission that Price is the reason why he only has one oh. arm because he shoots off an arm instead of killing him and all this other stuff. But it was like one of the tensest missions ever because there's this part you know you're in full ghillie suit, you know camouflage suit, trying to like hunt around. You have to be super quiet. You have to kill everybody with like headshots, or else you'll set off an alarm. And just be overrun quickly. You know, there are sometimes guard dogs you've got to watch out for. But that there's one part where you're, you're running across a field and your commander tells you, like, get down, get down. And you drop to the ground and a convoy of enemy tanks, trucks, and soldiers, like, walks by you. And you have to, like, slowly crawl out of their pathway and all this other stuff and just stay still laying down. You can't stand up. You can't move too fast. Oh, my God. It is so tense. And so then, of course, though, you have to get to this point and then you have to wait to where you're scoping out for Zakaev to get there. You have to over, you know, watch and then try to take him out. No matter, and again, no matter what you do, you're not going to kill him because it's obviously just the setup, but still you have to get that hit and then you have to get out and you're like chased by helicopters, chased by guys, and it just becomes this super stealthy and then super frenetic mission later on in the, at the, at the end part of it. And it's one of the greatest. Uh, and not only did it then kick off the Modern Warfare series in Call of Duty, which is an excellent series, and Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3 were all great games. Modern Warfare 2 is also notable for its uh, you know, it's mission, the no Russian one where they go, you know, oh, that's right. like we very controversial one where you have the airport shooting and all that. Um, and then Modern Warfare 3, I actually need to go back and play Modern Warfare 3. It, of all of them, I haven't played it. I've played it the least, but I remember the final mission of that one and you're still, you know, still got Captain Price with you and all that stuff. It's a great, great time. Nice. Uh, but the other big thing about it and why this one hits for me, not only was it one of the earlier games that I, or one of the, it's one of the games that I've probably spent the most amount of time in, uh, because I played it on computer, actually, not console. Oh, on your Mac? Yeah. 
I was, had a great time with Amazing. it. Amazing. I actually had friends, grow, my friends growing up actually more played, like I had a buddy of mine who played on Mac too. And so he's actually who wanted to bought it for me because I played it over at his house and we played like some co-op stuff on it, you know, some online multiplayer. Yeah. Which the online multiplayer part is where I spent a lot of my time. But I also went back because it had like this arcade modes and different things like this where you could replay these certain story missions. War Pig was my favorite one to go play. That one was a great mission. It sounds very silly. It's it's not. You're trying Are to you like you're trying to like go rescue a, a tank that's been broken down in the middle of this city, and you're just constantly being shot at from every direction, and it gets really intense and crazy. Uh, but the multiplayer part of it is where I played most of my time, and probably the only game that I've played more than the Call of Duty Modern Warfare Four multiplayer is probably Overwatched at this point. Hmm. But I, I I have no way to know how many hours I pl- I played Modern Warfare Four as opposed to Overwatch. It might still be higher than what I spent in Overwatch. You don't have like your old save file on your computer. I don't think it, still? Te- it tells. Oh, does it really not? And no, at this point, I don't oh, have that, the old okay. save file. I've ha- had that uninstalled and reinstalled so many times oh, across different gotcha. computers. There's no way I still have the original one. Um, but but still, it changed up the multiplayer by putting in uh, di- a different perk system or kill streak system. That is what it gave. Whereas the previous ones didn't have it. So this way, if you got three kills, you could do a sonar that would show reveal enemy position on a map. If you got five, you could do uh, airstrike, I believe is what it was. And then if you got six, you could call in an attack helicopter that just like hovered around on top and just mowed down people for an incredibly long amount of time. What I just heard you say is that if you get enough kills, you can use Hanzo's sonic arrow, you can use Doomfist's meteor strike, or you can become a bastion. That's all go. I heard yeah, in pretty that much. order. You know, just change if you <laughs> put it over in Overwatch. Exactly. Uh, and so I remember, though, you know, obviously this is the first iteration of it. It impacted and changed the gameplay of multiplayer immensely. Not to mention it also really gave you a lot more detailed loadouts where you could choose different kind of perk systems that you could add in. Like, you know, you could start with extra grenades or carry two major weapons instead of minor ones and all these other different things. So it totally changed up and switched up the multiplayer. And that has now been the basis for all other multiplayers going forward. That it, I mean, they've obviously changed it. Different games have thrown in different uh, little changes here and there, but for the most part, it's still based off of, it has the same core as what was based off of Modern Warfare 4, or Modern Warfare. And it was just great. You know, I remember playing it. That was with my buddies. We would play like pistols and knives. You could only have this oh, loadout. Yeah. So you had to always just run around and either like stab with a knife or shoot with a pistol. You couldn't get other guns. And you know, I had a great way to build out custom matches. So you could do that more easily. But man, I just for the amount of hours I spent in that game, it just had to go onto my top. So would you say then, because it was on IGN's list really high towards the yep. top, would you say that game it's pretty, oh, excuse me, game informers. Would you say that it's pretty well agreed? upon that modern warfare is one of if not the best loved call oh, yeah. of duty games you think that it's like i think yeah runner. if you if you were to put it up there it's definitely probably the apex what would you say its closest competition within call of duty is probably because coming from someone who has never played any of the games i have no yeah. idea I'd honestly say probably one of the Black Ops games. Uh, probably, I'd, I'd say, Black, for me, Black Ops. I loved Black Ops because it takes place in the Vietnam War. Uh, so it's, it's more modern than World War II, but not as modern as, as modern warfare. And it just had a really fun feel. You were like special ops in that one also. And I, I really enjoyed the maps, the storyline in that one. The multiplayer was also had some really great maps in that one too. Um, for me, yeah, it would probably be Black Ops would be my next one. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, that was a that was a great one too. But Call of Duty Modern Warfare clearly beat out Black Ops. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. It's my favorite one of the series. Oh, so like far. by leaps and bounds. Yeah, and I haven't really found one that I've enjoyed more 
than than that one. And that's why, I mean, it's spoiler. It's the only one on my list uh, of Call of Duty games on my list because I think, yeah, it's it's the one uh, that has had the most formative in being able. It, it, I'm sa- it's sad that like they haven't been able to really recapture that that magic that modern warfare had in the in the later iterations of it you know they started they started going super futuristic which advanced warfare was a pretty good one too but i feel like most people did not like that change no. to the future and the one that came settings. out oh man i don't remember what it's called now what was it it's not because what's well, the one where because you're like 19, fighting clowns world war ii is the one they just came out with which i've enjoyed that one but i moved on since because i needed other things to play i had other things to play um Man, what was it? What was the the one before that? I don't even remember because I didn't play right. it. Call of Duty Guns in Space. Infinite Warfare. Okay, Infinite that's Warfare. What that's I said. what it was. Infinite I was in Space. Really close. Uh, but anyway, that one <laughs> that one they actually packaged with a remaster of Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Mm-hmm. And I've wanted to get it. I've wanted to get the remaster, but it's still like $30, $40, and I just don't want to pay that for the remaster. I mean, maybe they think it's that good that it maybe. still holds It's almost that like to the point water. where you can buy the the combo of Infinite Warfare and Modern Warfare for the same as just the standalone version of Modern Warfare. And I'm just Clearly, like, uh, infi- I'm just waiting for a sale. Infinite Warfare? Infinite Warfare. Clearly, Infinite Warfare is not carrying no its weight that in that bundle. No one like that That's just one. shameful. So. But yeah, so that is why Modern Warfare for its great campaign story that kicked off a great line of the games because Modern Warfare 2 and 3 are, like I said, great games. But then it's more for the impact of the that it had on the multiplayer and the immense amount of hours that I spent in the multiplayer is Were why. Were you able to play on a Mac against people on PC or did the servers I think, not work? No, that way? I think it worked that way. Did they work? I think wow, it's, cr- I mean, because I think it's, it's like you still just play. It's not like you're on different. Networks Consoles? and ser- server networks yeah. is like with with con- with console. I think so. I believe I was playing against both. I mean, that's just something that like I'm obviously very ignorant about. I have no idea how those kinds of wires cross or work. Same. So I've never even thought about it before because I certainly don't game online competitively. Right. So, but so on on PC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no. So Modern Warfare, great game, great game. So what's your number five? Switching gears radically. Just I'm wondering if hard. we're gonna have a le- um a um crossover we are i i knowing what i know of you and a previous episode we did together i am very confident that we're going to have a game that crosses over yeah. we'll see if it's in the same spot okay because jared and if I, it is we'll yeah. just talk about it together yeah we'll just talk about it together jared jared and i have not um looked at each other's list no we have no idea we so, want the surprise to be genuine our reactions to be real he knows what i'm about to say because he's heard me talk about it a thousand times before but i don't know what this is but it has moved since oh. you last heard about it okay coming in at number five moved down a few spaces the legend of dragoon oh it's moved down a lot of spaces it's moved down quite a few spaces Damn. so obviously this is largely just because it's been shifted down because since the time we first talk about talked about it when we first started the podcast yeah. years ago uh the podcast like i said has incentivized me to play a lot more games right. just in terms of quantity and that exposure to more games has led to far more entries on my list and many of them are very very good and and at least two way newer, three newer games are a big part of the reason why uh, The Legend of Dragoon has been displaced from its previous top three status. Okay. That being said, I still think it is one of the, I know that it Where did does, it sit though before? I thought it was number one. Was it number, I thought, I honestly I thought Wind don't Waker remember. was number one. Oh, it might have been. I think Okami was number three. 
So it was your number two. And maybe two, Legend of Dragoon was number two. Man, so that's quite a drop for that's it, it Yeah, it's dropped a number of spaces. Which, really, you might even be able to argue that its, it's entry on my list is questionable in the first place, largely because it is my nostalgia pick. I've got a, I've got a nostalgia, yeah. a couple nostalgia picks It's on It's here. one of my nostalgia picks that is largely being uh, boomed on its way onto the right, list, right. simply by my incredibly fond memories of it. But you know what? That has credit that has merit. to it. That has weight and that has merit. So in terms of its uh, status as a JRPG, which is, if you haven't, if you're new to the show and you've never heard me talk about The Legend if of If you'd Drake, like to hear her full thoughts on it, like go back to, to episode hear. 1, episode 10, episode 15, episode 17, 18, 19. <laughs> it's only there, there a, a few lot. times. <laughs> so in terms of its status as a JRPG, it is like... Clearly not on anybody's top 10 of anything. It probably wouldn't even make the top 100 yeah. JRPGs of all time. Uh, it did have the incredibly uh, bad fortune to come out very shortly after Final Fantasy VII did. Uh, so which kind of dwarfed everything that came out Part of it is similar. that Final Fantasy VII really cannibalized every competitor in the market of the time. Legend of Dragoon just kind of got super glossed over uh, because Final Fantasy VII was out. Followed by, of course, Final Fantasy VIII, which would have come out, I think, a little bit after The Legend of Dragoon mm -hmm. did. Dragoon came out in um, Japan 1999 and the U.S. the year 2000. So technically it wasn't that long ago, yeah. but boy has that game not aged well. <laughs> I've seen like the couple times like you've shown us the trailers for it or some <laughs> other stuff like that and or even the artwork for it. You can only find artwork that's in like 200 by 300 oh, dimensions. Yeah. It's <laughs> so really makes it making thumbnails a pain in the ass. And unfortunately, a lot of that is because the fan base for the Legend, Legend of Dragoon is so small. Yeah, it's like me and a handful of other people out there, one of whom is Bro Mogan and the others are like five people on Tumblr yeah. and the three people in Overwatch that have stared at me in the lobby and then have messaged me on PSN to be like, I love your name. And what's your name for everyone Levitz who doesn't? Lives. Lives. So again, my PlayStation name, Levitz Lives, is based on The Legend of Dragoon. So one of the heroes from the game is one is your first partner. So you play as this total dweeb. His name is Dart. He freaking sucks. He's like cut and paste protagonist. Mm -hmm. Dart blows. Everybody else in the game, super great. Except for your forced waifu, Shauna. She's kind of... Very basic, yeah. uh, I have to save that princess over there. She's not a princess, but that's the gist. So you play as this dude, Dart. He's been on a quest for most of his adult youth, uh, trying to track down this thing called the Black Monster, who wiped out his entire town and killed his family and presumably his mother and father as well. So he's been on this quest to find the Black Monster, doesn't find it, comes back to his new pseudo-hometown where Shauna lives, finds it decimated as well, and he's like, what the fuck? Two towns, one life? How did this happen? <laughs> and everybody in the new town is like, bro, this like just happened three days ago. Yeah. You're just a little too late. They totally took Shauna. They took her to a prison. We have oh, no. no idea what's happening. And Dart's like, motherfucker. <laughs> he, obviously, they don't really cuss that right. much in this game, but he like runs off to this place called Hell in a Prison, which is where you meet Levitz. And he's like, hey there, son. I'm a night. We're busting out of here. Team up with me. And you're like, oh, God, I love you. You're the you, best, Levitz. man. You're the 
best man. Like he's instantly your friend. He's like, I got a spare and enough spirit to get us out of here. And you're like, yes, you do. Let's have a great time. Our, our dreams will fly on the wings of your strength. <laughs> like that's how I feel about Levitz. So with his help, you managed to bust out of the prison and sh- save Shauna at the same time. Yep. But all of this kicks off the overarching story of the legend of Dragoon, which much in the style of JRPGs is very expansive. It is kind of a hallmark of JRPGs that the key crisis, the key goal of the game, almost always revolves around, hey, if we don't succeed, the whole world and potentially the whole universe and or other worlds, other dimensions, could all be destroyed. No pressure. It's never like a small town problem. Right. It's always like the biggest, It's going to be just a band of bandits. Yeah. No, it's never like that. It's the universe. the whole uh, crux of the Legend of Dragoon universe is that I think it was 11,000 years ago of when you're starting the game, there was this great war fought mm-hmm. between these humanoid creatures called winglies. Very stupid name, but they are basically like just regular humans, but they have like built-in wings, oh, yeah. kind of. And they, they're almost like angels, but clearly evil because they had subjugated humans who they viewed as a subspecies, not really worthy of being, you know, treated as people. Yep. So they had subjugated humanity, treated them as slaves, and then these dragons basically teamed up with humans, and they formed a bond that led to dragoon warriors. So a Essentially, you are basically like this dragon warrior, which is super lame on paper. So great in practice. Like 10 out of 10, would dragoon again. And that function comes through in the battle. So obviously when you're like a regular person, you've got your sword or whatever other weapon you have, and you can do these things called additions, Mm -hmm. which are, let's say that I'm level 10, and I've got a couple of new additions under my belt. If I slash you once, that's just my basic attack. But if I go at you, there's basically like this little square timer that hones in on the target. And if you can time it just right to hit your strikes to line up with when the square hits the center exactly right, you will continue to do more moves. And those are your additions. Cool. So I might get a quick one-two addition. And that's obviously a little bit more uh, damage for me. It also might get you um, some magic points on the side, which you need to power up your Dragoon. But if I get to level 50 and I've got a 10-hitter addition, I can just be like, bam, 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 bam. Just taking out fools. The problem is it's very difficult. Because it's all about timing. Yeah, it's all about timing. So it's really not easy. And if you want to really get your additions down, you really have to grind and practice. And I like that about the game because it it doesn't just hand it to you. Right. You know, it's not like... I like to rag on quick time events a lot. It kind of is a quick time event because it's all about timing, right. but it's much more difficult. Yeah. And it lines up with the movements and with the sound effects in game to where when you do get it right, it feels very impactful and you really feel like you just decimated nice. them. Nice. And sometimes your regular human uh, attacks can wind up being more more powerful than your dragoon ones. Well, and it makes sense to you know, and especially in the way with these uh, tactical RPGs and tactical combat like this, you know, it can feel very much just like you're selecting a movement and you're executing the movement. You know, 
speaking from just having played Octopath Traveler a little bit, you know, you just pick from a menu yes. item, you hit that, and that's what you select. You select the enemy you want to damage. But I feel like that gives it a way to make the combat feeling a bit more immersive. It does. That's right. And that's uh, largely, like, it definitely needed it. It needed that little bit of extra edge because the combat is really pretty simple. You know, we talked about with Octopath Traveler and with other modern JRPGs like Bravely Default, they found really creative ways to make turn-based battle way more strategic. Mm -hmm. Whereas back in the early 2000s, they didn't really have all of those ideas or the right. technology available to make them happen. So it needed the addition system and it pulled it off very well. It also very much benefited from the Dragoon system. So you as Dart and all of the members of your party, you are all now the basically new new breed of the Dragoons. So Dart has the Red Dragoon Stone. Uh, your buddy Rose, my favorite, she Remember might be number her. one waifu. Rose Rose might be my waifu for laifu. Um, anyways, Rose has the black dragoon. She's the biggest badass on planet Earth. Number one female game character of all time. Oh. Don't fight me on that. <laughs> <laughs> or do. We'd love the debate. Uh, there's Shauna, who's she's super lame. She gets the white dragoon. It's like the healing class. Levitz has the green one. There's cool. um, Hachel. He has the thunder dragoon, the purple one. They're all really awesome. And each of the characters that holds this dragoon stone, they're very well flesh fleshed out. They all have their own backstories. And of course, they all have their own function in battle. So they're mostly elemental based. So depending on how you want to play, you might go a little more defense defensively go with like a healer and then like maybe one attacker and someone that could just take a lot of damage like a Kongle, for example he's yeah. your earth dragoon guy or you could go super aggressive and go okay i want rose and dart in there i'm gonna equip them with items that make them so fast that they can both go what feels like 10 turns before the enemy can even get one turn in As speed you cannot underestimate the value of speed in the legend of dragoon uh but you know there's so many different ways that you can play it because equipment does play a role mm -hmm. the dragoon system plays a role and you can retool it to a pretty interesting effect you can get a lot of different outcomes and a lot of different play styles from what is on paper a really simple system so the gameplay itself i think i think the, the gameplay the combat holds up uh graphically it may not have held up at all which it hasn't um in terms yeah. of but i mean what game did from that from that time period exactly i mean obviously the original final fantasy 7 as well is being remade because the original as much as people do love it has also aged terribly. Yeah. Like those PlayStation One era games, they're, they're old. Not They've pretty. just aged terribly. It, it, but we've said it before. But it feels like you know early '90s games like kind of look one way. Then you got to like. 98 through like 2003 and that's when the j curve started where they just got infinitely better it was like we got this new technology that lets us do like 3d and some polygon more polygons of movement but man those games they look great then they do not look great now and then after that like 2003 it started kicking once back up and you're like oh okay we're looking good like again smooth smooth, those smooth polygons. everything smooth out the polygons a little smooth bit smooth out those polygons but yeah <laughs> yeah so they they definitely uh could use a facelift it will never get a facelift because it's not a cult classic like Final Fantasy VII is, yeah. but the story was really engaging. It spanned a very uh, diverse world. You got to go to a lot of really interesting towns, a lot of in really interesting worlds. You got to meet all kinds of fun side characters. My favorite is still under the bridge drunk hobo who just shouts at you to bring him spirits, which when I was 10, I didn't know what he meant. Like little spirits, like I a genie in a bottle? Yeah, I was like, does he want like What a do you want, sir? Yeah, I was like, he wants like a ghost or something. I don't know what he wants. I've uh, come to find out spirits or alcohol, alcohol. and I was he like, his drink on. you 
bastard. <laughs> so that's also where I learned the word bastard. I learned Video you games. bastard because the guards in Helena prison would shout that at you as you were trying to escape. And nice. I was, and me and Andrew, bro Mogan, we would just go around the house being like, you bastard. Because we like, didn't what know now? any better. <laughs> you want to say that again? And would they actually never noticed. Oh, I don't know. Right. We must have been quiet kids. I don't know. <laughs> But anyways, it just, uh, it, for, for its time and for what it was, it managed to do a lot with what it had. So I do think that if you can bear the terrible graphics, it really kind of is the game that I would love for more people to go back and play. I know that that's a very unrealistic request, but, uh, I love that game and I think it's still a really good game and I will defend it to the end. You know what I'm going to do? Gonna try something out. No, sweet. I am like ninety-five percent sure. Oh crap! While you do that, the one thing that I want from a Legend of Dragoon remake that, again, that I know will never happen, make Dart an interchangeable character in the battle system. Ah, so you don't, don't have to use him. You, yeah, you couldn't get rid of him. Uh, in the original game, he was your static player, and I hated that. Uh, there haven't been static players in the majority of JRPGs ever since then, yeah. and that's the way it should be. You should be able to change out everyone in the party at any time you want. So that sucked. That's something that definitely could have used some tweaks. Got it. Okay, so what I was looking at, you can actually buy Legend of Dra- Dragoon in the PS Store. For uh, PS3 and PSP, which I also think means that you can play it on the Vita. So it's got to be like one dollar. It's six dollars actually. It's six dollars. So for six dollars, you can go play this classic of a game. You can go get a classic piece of JRPG history. You're gonna love it. (laughs) Maybe you might hate it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not even. It's it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. (laughs) All right, so my number five coming in here, and this is one. I'm pretty sure we're overlapping on. <gasps> it better not be. I think it is. All right. What's your number five? Life is Strange. Damn it. That is one of mine. All right. Why so don't, how so do we want to handle this we, Because we have an overlap, mine is at a different position. Okay. So we do not share So let's just talk time. about it. Oh, maybe let's do this. Since we don't, it's going to throw off the numbering a little bit. But so that we can both talk about it. How about we talk about it now? We move your number four to. Re- we'll talk about it in the next part. You or, see what I'm saying? Or what, what we got? We We're figuring just, out this stuff on the fly. See, this is how much we wanted to be surprised. So how about instead? I feel like we share a lot of the qualities that we loved about the game in common, but we can talk about it in different ways. And I think yeah. some of the things that were really impactful to me may we'll not be, be the same okay. things that you really found interesting. So why don't you just talk about? Why don't you just talk about uh, the game from your perspective, and we can try to keep both of ours a little shorter. Yeah, because we'll say this, preface this before I jump into this. We did an extensive episode on this. It was one of our longest ones. Like an hour and a half. Because it was just Mogan and I, and we went over the whole season. So if you want our real in-depth thoughts on it, Hit over, check out that episode. While I'm talking, I'm going to look back to get the actual also, number. it was a great episode. Great that episode. That was a good one. Excellent episode. Um, but if you want our full thoughts on it with spoilers, all that different stuff, I'm not going to get into the weeds on it with this. 
Because now, with Life is Strange 2 presumably coming out soon, yes, on the horizon. now would actually be a fantastic time for people to play Life is Strange yes. if they haven't done so already. So I totally agree that we could we could try to keep our comments now yeah. a little bit more spoiler free. It's episode 86 if you want to jump back to listen to that in an hour and 23 minutes. Yeah, so it's a, it's a long one, but it's a great one. It's a great one. Because, you know, it's on our top 10 list for a reason, and, that's, and for me, personally... There have been very few games that I have had a strong emotional reaction to. There have been, you know, an, a reaction that's other than, oh yeah, this is awesome, you know, like. You're which, such a stereotype. Well, because I normally US play. American male. I normally play like the more, uh, you know, role playing, uh, action open world kind of game is what I go, is what I go for, you know. And so those games have their emotional moments, but that's not like their main component. And I felt like life is strange. That was its main component. It obviously had drama. It had these mature themes that we talked about even last week, you know, when we talked about Cap- amazing adventure, awesome adventures of Captain Spirit and how those Life is Strange games handle these more adult mature themes while centering them in the world of teenagers and young children. It just, it, it took on this yet another level of storytelling that I wasn't used to in video games really at this, you know, when I played it. And it was, and I played this game recently. It was, it was last year. year ago. Yeah, barely yeah. a year ago when we played through it. So we played through it at the same time so we could do these bigger episodes on it. And so, you know, I thought the the characters were all really great. You know, and, and I have its... I had my issues with it, especially, like, it took me a little bit to get used to the art style of the game. Uh, it is very unique. It's very unique. It does kind of drive me for a little crazy for how heavy of a dialogue-heavy game it is that, like, why did the lips not sink? With the audio, but that's also just me because I do video, and that's a that's a pet peeve of mine. Yeah, like yeah. I can tell in a second if the audio and video is not lined up, and it, if right. it, it's not, it drives me crazy. Isn't don't not a French studio? They are, yes. Gotcha. Uh, and so the French, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't have. We should knock them. They gave us one of the greatest games oh, no, of all time. I know. We do it in jest and in love, but but anyway. So the, you know, for those of you not familiar with the story, and again, I'm not wanting to go super spoiler here. Basically, you're this young teenage girl, Max. Call who's attending the Blackwell Academy in Arcadia Bay, Oregon, a fictional town. And, you know, through it, you meet her friend, Chloe, who they had a, they were once best friends, but then personal tragedies and, uh, and families mm-hmm. caused them to separate and they lost contact over time, but now they're reconnecting. And the main thing is that Max learns that she has this ability to rewind time. You learn that literally within the first like 10 minutes of the game, so that's not super spoilery. She has this ability to rewind time and alter her decisions in any way that she sees fit. But part of this, too, is she has these dreams and visions of a massive storm or some cataclysmic event coming towards Arcadia Bay that is threatening it, and all these weird things happen in the surrounding area and during the game that as you go through it. And so it leads you to unravel like what's happening, what's the cause behind all these things. And then also there's this missing girl, Rachel Amber, who is a friend of Chloe's and that you're trying to, uh, that you're trying to figure out what she is and does this have any tie into these storms and all these different things going on. Uh, that's as in depth as I'm going to go. But like I said, the big thing is that I was just literally not prepared for how much of an emotional story the game is. It's a roller coaster. Roller coaster of, of emotions. Not fear. very much happiness, really. No, not a lot of happiness. Not there really are a, a few whole lot. happy moments, but a lot of it is like sheer terror. Yes. Uh, many sadnesses, yes. a lot of tears, yes. and just disappointment. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot to unpack in the game because, as I said, it does 
deal with very mature themes such you as could write a dissertation uh, seriously it, like one single facet of yeah. what life is strange is trying to get across to yes you. and so you know there's different things like sexual assault uh I don't know. Now I'm just playing, kind of blagging on because there are, it's, it's a lot, but that I remember being drug the big one, use, drug, drug use, dealing, depression, depression, suicide, you know, all these different things, um, you know, which as we grow older and we learn more about the world, we learn that are more and more prevalent in our day to day lives than we once assumed as we were with them when we were growing up. And so it's an interesting take. I feel like for don't nod to have put this in the teen, a teenage world. And, but I think it's very impactful and very effective. Um, it's just one of those things it's playing through and it's the five episodes episode one in the beginning of it. I was like, this is interesting. This is fun. Got to the end. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of intrigued. Episode two, I believe is when I was like at the, got to the end of it. And I was like, Oh, this is something special. That is where and, our paths diverged significantly. Yes, yes. And we were both fully on board, fully on board. By the end of the game, I, I remember I was finishing season episode four and I was like, okay, I'm going to end and then be done. But then I was like, no, I have to play episode five. And yeah, I sat there and played like the ha- oh, last yeah. half of episode four and then got to the, and played all through episode five to finish out the game. And it was one of those things by the end of the game, you know, there are these moments where you'll have choices where you have to pick a option, a option B. And these are the pivotal moments in the game where this, depending, you usually can't rewind the time. Uh, and it's just going to be, this is how the game's future is impacted. And those moments, especially in the last episode, I found myself spending minutes trying to figure out which one I wanted to pick. Making the final decision, decision. The final decision, I had to set the controller down, sit back in the chair or the sofa, and ponder. Just kind of, you just, had to figure it to, out. Oh, I had to. Did you pour yourself a little whiskey? It just, it Maybe had to, light a cigar? had to contemplate. Put your head in your my hands? Mood, because just, so many things that I wasn't expecting to have to deal with. There were so many things. I had to deal with. And they <laughs> all come straight. to a head at the end point of the game. And I literally, oh, I think I sat there eight-ish minutes trying to decide which one I wanted to do. Because I knew it was going to have this impact. And... and I didn't want to see either, honestly, but it's, it's, I had to choose because that's where the story of the game took me. And I remember I was sitting there and Sam was, she was in the living room too. She was doing something and she looked at me and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm, I'm thinking this is like, important. Sam, you're ruining my emotional thoughts. Gosh. And so I, you know, and so it's, I just wasn't prepared for it. And you know, I've talked about it and we'll talk about it further because yes, yeah, spoiler alert, Last of Us is on my list, but it's, you know, I'm going to, those are like the two games that I think have hit me the hardest. And honestly, been... for the impact of Life is Strange, and I've played it more recently than The Last of Us, but it, I feel like Life is Strange almost hit me harder emotionally. Because they're very different Different games. situations I mean, they're in wildly games. different in the themes that they deal with, in the characters yes. that they have, yes. and in their worlds. Obviously, Life is Strange is set in a reality that is exactly like ours. It's just that in the context of these particular characters, you're going through these very super, not necessarily supernatural, but kind of sci-fi events. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So, so it just was this package. And like I said, the gameplay was simplistic, but that's not what you were really there for. It's more of this, uh, mist, the solving the mystery, unlocking these dialogue trees, figuring out the best answers to the best situations, figuring out the little puzzles along the way. And it's a game about relationships. And it's a game about relationships. So you build the, you build the game and play the game according to the relationships you want to see come to fruition and come to, you know, you either grow or you let die kind of thing. And so it's, it's just a heavy game. It's a heavy 
Definitely. And like I said, just wasn't expecting it, but the impact that it left me with and the amount of, and how long I had to sit even after the game thinking about what I had experienced. That's why it, it definitely hits. I mean, I still have thoughts where I'm like, man, life is strange is a good game. Yeah. Cause like Which I'll see something life, that reminds season me two of it has like a big shoes to fill. Yeah, it really does. So and I feel like it's fulfill. almost unfair for us to hold it to the level that we obviously hold life is strange to yeah. because it's uh, life is strange. To <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, because no. it's such a good game. Definitely. Really one of my biggest struggles was I I really wondered if I was going to put mine even higher than it currently is on my list cuz I've already gotten to my number 5. Yeah. So what's next? Exactly. So, my number four is one of the shortest games on my list, oh. but it is one that has had, similar to Life is Strange, a very outsized impact. I'm trying to think. You have heard me talk about You've it before. About it. Okay. I've talked about it with Zach. And Do you think you can guess it? It's not it? Rhyme, because you already talked about Rhyme. It's not Fee, because you It's about similar that. to both Rhyme and Life is Strange in the type of game that it is, which is this more niche Story driven, not action based. Portal? No? You're no? Okay. Kind of, well, you're kind of more off base. It's Firewatch. Oh, duh. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, yeah, Firewatch. Yeah. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't initially sure that Firewatch was even going to make the list. Mm -hmm. But the more I thought about it, the more it was a game where I was like, you know what? I can't think of a bad thing about it. Yeah. Literally everything. That's one I still yeah. want to go back and play. It's Oh, you should. Because, again, it's very short. You could easily get through all of Firewatch. If you wanted to savor it a little bit more, you could do it in a long weekend. You could do Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If you really wanted to power through it, you could, in fact, do it in one sitting. If you weren't looking for the trophies and if you were being a little bit more uh, direct in your approach. Yeah. But when I played the game, I played it in a very slow manner. I stretched it out over a couple of weeks and I feel like that really benefited the way I saw the game because it gave me time to form a bond with the characters in the game which Firewatch very similar to Life is Strange is all about relationships mm -hmm. you are this character Henry I believe his name is yeah. and your whole story is you start the game really with dialogue based options you're not actually viewing any cutscenes the game is just showing you text on the screen explaining to you who you are so it's not like you're a cut-and-paste character. You're not like a cardboard person where you just fill their shoes. You are given a very direct personality. You are Henry. You are a middle-aged man. You're kind of overweight. You have a beard, I think. And you have a wife who has early-onset Alzheimer's. And she is very rapidly going. Mm -hmm. And it has wrought havoc on your life. Because you as Henry, you have no idea how to deal with this. So really kind of in what might be one of the more cowardly ways that you could deal with Alzheimer's is he kind of runs away. Yeah. So rather than deal with uh, attempting to support his wife, he himself falls into deep depression because, of course, they were very much in love. He loves his wife, but he can't deal with who she is becoming. So he basically allows her parents, who I think live in Australia, to care for her, and he goes off into the wilderness of a state park. I think it's a state park in maybe Wyoming or something. Mm -hmm. We'll just pretend and say it's Wyoming. I'm Pacific not Northwest. Sure yeah. Uh, but anyway, so his whole thing is he has become a fire watch for the summer. It's kind of like basically a summer job. It's a temp job. So he is going to inhabit Tower Alpha. I actually don't remember what it's called. 
He's going to live in Tower A, and he has on the other end of his walkie-talkie, which is the main form of communication in the game, the person in Tower B who is Delilah. And she has been at the Firewatching job for years and years and years. I think she might be like a full-time state mm-hmm. trooper or something. And she's in the park all the time. Uh, she is your guide to how to get around, how to read your map, where to go. She also becomes your lifeline, literally, as Henry throughout the course of the game. So, of course, with the walkie-talkie, you primarily navigate through Firewatch through dialogue with Delilah. There's really nobody else that you talk to. It's just you and it's just Delilah. Mm -hmm. And maybe like a handful of people that you kind of see on the periphery, but that you really don't interact with in any significant way. Yeah. So as Henry, you are just doing your thing. You're going through nature. You're having a more or less good time. Obviously, you're kind of trying to temporarily at least forget about the kind of terrible life that you have behind you waiting for you once this job is over. Uh, But you form a relationship with Delilah that is very unique and very special. The voice acting between both Henry and Delilah is really good. Mm -hmm. I think the woman who played Delilah wound up being nominated for a voice acting award for the game. I believe that sounds right. She may have even won. Did she win? Yeah, you can check. But it is very well done voice acting. It doesn't feel forced at all. All of the dialogue options feel like they naturally form a conversation that could happen in real life. Like any of this could be real. You learn that, you know, she has her own problems. She has her own past. Sometimes she'll call you on the walkie-talkie and she's kind of drunk. So, you know, she's very much not a perfect person. Neither are you as Henry. And because neither of you are perfect people, you form this really deep bond that you as the player, whether you're male or female or anything else, whoever you may be, you can feel very connected and very invested in the game. And of course, uh, Firewatch is sort of derogatorily referred to as a walking simulator because, again, there's, like, no action. Mm -hmm. You're just walking through the state park in the first-person view of Henry, and you are completing some very basic tasks. Along the way and along your interactions with Delilah, you kind of come across a mystery of the game, which becomes your propeller for getting to the bottom of the game's central story, which is, hey, some people have been going missing in the park. You find abandoned backpacks. You find certain things that make you think some really bad shit is going on here. So getting to the bottom of that mystery is your primary uh, means for progressing through the game. And you do that progress with Delilah always on the other end of your walkie-talkie. And even though you never actually do interact with her face-to-face, you feel like you had a life bond, like almost a uh, soulmate kind of situation with the person on the other line. Mm. And because of how impactful that relationship was, that's what just propelled Firewatch up into the stratosphere for me. I still think it is one of the most impactful emotional games I've ever played, which is why it outpaced Rhyme by six spaces. Uh, I think it is arguably the superior experience in terms of it being a relatively simplistic game has a very simple interface simple but beautiful graphics mm-hmm. the graphics are quite stunning it's for a great what art they style are. it's beautiful very well done sometimes i'll get to a cliffside and just kind of look out over the see horizons just just take a look around yeah. just see what's going just on you can get attacked by a raccoon that's a lot oh, of fun no. you can find a turtle and you can name him turt reynolds <laughs> <laughs> it's so 
funny. So even though it deals with some really heavy themes and uh, a lot of stuff that is just a real bummer, it does have moments that are really lighthearted and that again show that both Henry and Delilah are just normal people trying to do their best in lives that could be better. Yeah. So they're both in kind of difficult circumstances and the game doesn't shy away from that and it approaches it in a very sensitive way that makes it feel very real. So Firewatch number four. Number four. Almost made it into the top. Almost there. Almost. So I went back and look. Uh, The voice actress of Delilah, Sissy Jones, she did win a BAFTA Games Award for Best Performance in 2017. Sissy Jones. Also, tie-in, she's the voice of Joyce Price in... Uh, Life Strange, season one. Oh, oh, for a minute I thought you were going to say the captain, the wife of Captain Price. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Chloe's mother. Okay, Chloe's mother in Life is Strange. Sense. I love Joyce. Oh, my God, I would never have realized that. There it is. You know, for all you know, that could have been Joyce out in the middle of the wilderness. That's true. Same area. Having her new life. Oh, God. <laughs> all right. So my number four game. This is one that I actually... I have picked, it's a series, and it's one that I have picked as favorite of the series, but I have to kind of throw in and lump in the whole series as a whole. Assassin's Creed? No. Damn it. Assassin's Creed actually does not make my list. I know it's not Doom, because you've only played one. I've talked about this a lot. You've talked about it a lot. It's not Assassin's Creed. Not Assassin's Creed. Uh, oh, is it a Far Cry game? No. Oh, damn I talked it. about Far Cry. Wow, Far Cry 3. okay, you already did. Horizon is just one. All right, I give up. Civilization. Oh, of course. The age-old turn-based strategy game <laughs> that I have played and loved and adored for quite, quite some time. Started with Civilization 2, playing Civilization 6 now. The only one that I have not played in between there is Civilization 4. And isn't that like the most popular it one is. by most Just for some reason, standards. I missed that one completely. Um, but no, Civilization, why I love the series and why the series as a whole hits my number four is because... I've talked about this on other, on other episodes. History has always been kind of like my second love. I've always, lesser so now, but it's, especially growing up, I loved history. I loved reading about like ancient and medieval civilizations, uh, specifically those time periods. And I always thought like American history and all that was boring. Oh, because it is boring. It's boring AF. And so, And kind of depressing overall. Yeah, but you know, mostly bad. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, anyway. So I've always loved ancient and medieval time periods, especially for you know, specifically even the warfare. That's always been my thing that I kind of like gravitated to and like wanted to read all about, learn all about the different kinds of thing, these ancient civilizations, ancient cultures, and how they progressed over time when they were defeated out and you know and and and. brought into other empires and conquered and all that other stuff. You're all about that barbarian life. Well, not even the barbarian life. Like it's, you know, it's fascinating to me. Like, you know, the, the rise of the Roman empire and how they spread Alexander the Great's empire, you know, even like the, the Norman invade, Norman invasion of England, the Ottoman empire, the Ottoman empire, all those different things. Way more recent, way more recent, but still, still a valid one. Still there. It it started like in the late medieval period, carried over pretty, you know, pretty recent. Uh, but I just always loved all that. And civilization was my way to be able to live that out. And I loved it for that. Civilization two was, you know, very simplistic. Your, your units just slid over a very eight bit, 16 bit style map, you know, not a whole lot there had some great, wonderful little simplistic music that played along, but it still gave you that feeling. Civilization three made it 
was a huge step graphically, whereas everybody now your your characters would move and there would be battle sequences that would take place. Uh, your cities would actually like grow and expand and take over, and you could go like the city view and see a very in depth, detailed look at your city that you were building. And you know, it really expounded upon it. Like I said, Civ Four, I haven't really played. I didn't really play, but Civ Five and Civ Six, then you know, took it on and it started growing more things. Now you can have like religions and faiths and great people and all these other different little things that they've now added in. Not to mention now even way more empires that you could be, and they keep adding new ones, especially with expansion packs. But and it's just one that I've consistently played, consistently loved because it still keeps that bit of that love of history of me for me alive. Now, my favorite of the series and the one that I guess officially takes this number four spot in my list is Civilization Three. Oh, okay, gotcha. because that one, if for nothing else, sheer amount of hours played. Nice. And How old would you have been when you were really into Civ Three? Thirteen. Wow. It came out in two thousand. So it was really one of your earlier games. Yeah. Because yeah. this was in your pre-console days. Yes, very gotcha. pre-console days. Yeah. Still playing on the Mac, you know, and so. Uh, and it was one of the few non-educational games that I had. Oh, it's very educational. It's educational in its own way, but like, still, if I was trying to say, like, hey, mom and dad, can I play this because I want to learn? They'd be like, mm, <laughs> that's pushing it. But anyway, so it, it, Civilization 3 for the main, and not, you know, it's one of those games too. You can play for so long. And especially then at that time, you know, I was only allowed 30 minutes a day to play. Oh God. If that, <laughs> oh, that's not man. a whole lot of time. That's not enough time and to do I anything. And the only computer that could run it was my dad's computer. And he was using it throughout the week, so really the only day I could play it was like Sundays after he was done after church and stuff when he wasn't preaching and doing work on it. That's and stuff. borderline child abuse. <laughs> That's definitely I had plenty of other things I could do to entertain myself. With. But this, so I usually always played as the Persian Empire because I loved their special, unique unit, the Immortal, because I had this badass sword. It was an incredibly powerful, strong unit. Like I was still using Immortals in the modern age. It, like it shouldn't have made any historical sense, but it did make sense of the game, and I loved it. They were still bad, but it's still just it's taking the you know the whole thing about it. Like you're building your empire, you're built, you're founding cities, you're managing the city's economy, you're you're managing an empire, you're managing your citizens, you're managing your army, and then you obviously are dealing with the uh, influences of the other empires that are playing against you. And that's what I just loved about it, was balancing. Normally, though, I will say for when I was 13, I usually just loved being a warmonger. We'd build up a massive army and just go attack everybody and try to just win by total jerk. military domination. Oh but my now God. my play style has shifted where I do try to be more diplomatic uh, or maybe even go for scientific victories and different things like that. But I just, and I know I'm not like the greatest Civ player ever. And I know that to other people who have spent way more time in the games and in, more, in the series and have just spent more hours period playing like i'm on the civ subreddit and people be like just hit 2000 hours playing civ 6 and i'm like oh my god what i'm not even sure if i have that many hours in overwatch right and so you know it's all this different stuff and you know so i know i'm not like if i were to be put in a competition i wouldn't be that good and, and honestly the games that i've won to the games i've lost i could ma- I maybe won five games of civilization it's a difficult game to win, especially as you it try to play on harder difficulty levels. There's a lot to take into consideration. Not only, you know, like the, all this diplomacy, but like well, the resources that are nearby. How close to this water should I settle my city? Am I settling too close to my enemies? All these different things. And so, and I loved all the diplomacy and how you'd interact with the other, the trade and the, and the bargaining and haggling that you would do with the other leaders to try to get the best deals, the best resources, the best technologies. And then eventually how sometimes those would all just fall apart and they start declaring war on you. Left and right, they'd form alliances, come against you. You'd be calling your allies, coming against each other. It's like, it just, you sons of bitches. And then, of course, it always it gave us to the weird thing of Gandhi being a complete nuclear warmonger, which is a, <laughs> oh, oh, its Gandhi. own in-joke and meme in the, in the civilization <laughs> community as it is. But 
it really, and that's just why it is number, number, uh, number four for me. It's, I can't, like I said, I'm not great at it. I'm not, you know, I haven't played and completed that many games. I've, I haven't even finished a game of Civ six yet. Um, but, and it's been out for almost a year, I think. And it's just, but it's still, it's just that it's, it's a slightly nostalgic. And also just because it's one of those things that did help me keep alive and continue and fester to grow and nurture my love of history. And so that's honestly why it sits at number four. It's got its claws in you. It does. And it never, and it's let never going to let go. Nice. So it's a great game. It's a great series. If you ever have the inkling to try it out, you should. Which Civ has Baba yet to? Four. Oh, the one you haven't played. But Civ six, the Civ six, Sogno de Valare, is the main theme. Also by Christopher Tin, same guy. I haven't heard that one yet. It's great. You know what we're going to do then? Yeah, you should do that first. We're going to roll into this. (laughs) Sona de Valaria is going to be our soundtrack spotlight for this week. I'm excited for it a It's a great one. We were going to do something else, but... I feel like I maybe might have used this one a long time ago, but it's been a long time ago. It deserves to be listened to again. So soundtrack spotlight is Sona de Valaria, the main theme of Civilization VI, composed by Christopher Tin. It is... But if you've not listened to his main theme for Civilization Four, Baba Yetu, you oh should. God. It is an amazing piece of music. Listen to the version from Video Games Live. Yes, it is so. It's good. so good. But this one, Sonny Di Valare, take is a different tone. It's more of a classical music themed than Baba Yetu, where that one is, you know, sang in Swahili, has a you know beautiful vocals and chords, and this one does too. But it's more of the of the cl- of a classical style. But it's still very uh, bombastic, epic, uh, subtle, and just all this mix of with wonderful melodies. And it's a fantastic one that kind of ties in the scope of what you're going to experience when you play a Civilization game. Very nice. So that is why Sonon de Villare is going to be our soundtrack spotlight for this week. But with that... That concludes this episode of Team Chat Podcast. Again, we'll be back for the final installment of this series where we will list our games three, two, and the all-important number one oh God, game I'm of nervous. all time to round out our top ten list. So obviously, if you have not shared with us your top ten games, we'd love to hear about them. And so send those our way by sending us an email, teamchatpodcast at gmail.com. You know, send us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, reply in the comments of this YouTube video, any way you want, but that's how you can get that to us. And then also, of course, into that PS4 giveaway. We'd love for somebody to go home with a really bright shirt. Somebody's going to go home with it, but we'd love for... Give you know, Kevin a home. It could be you. Yeah, give Kevin he a home. He deserves a new home. He deserves the love. But that concludes this episode of Team Chop Podcast, everybody. I am one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. Adios. We'll see you all next time. Stick around for the song.